morning. It's good to see everybody. I was kind of looking around the room as we were uh, in worship a, a couple of minutes ago, and there are a lot of faces that I don't necessarily recognize today. Um, and so for those of you that I have not yet met, my name is Bill, and it's entirely possible that this is not your first week here. It's your second week, and now you're wondering, well, who's that guy that's standing up there today? Um, and so my, uh, it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Um, and so if I have, didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, would love to uh, visit with you on the way out this morning. If you have questions about our church, it's something that I say uh, on a regular basis. If you have questions, please ask. There's no such thing as a bad question. So if you have questions about something that I talk about this morning or just about the church or, or whatever it is, um, I want to be available to you. And so after the service, I'll kind of hang out um, by the information table, just uh, straight out the doors. Um, and so I uh, would love to, to just meet you, uh, if nothing else. And so if you are a guest with us for the very first time, uh, we would love to connect with you, and the easiest way to do that is to have you text the word WELCOME to 833-276-5450. Um, one day I will remember that uh, number, and I won't have to turn around anymore. Now, I recognize if this is your first time here, and I've just told you, hey, we want you to do this, you're like, man, I don't really know if I want to do that. I'm not really sure what I'm signing up for. Uh, so I will tell you specifically what you're signing up for. The reason that we ask you to text specifically the word welcome to that number um, is because that begins our ability to connect with you via text message. And so you'll first get a link uh, to a digital connection card, which also enrolls you in some text messages over the next couple of weeks just to find out how we could be praying for you and things like that at some point if you want to stop getting text messages from us because you're going to do that in the service right now um, but if you're like man this was terrible you can opt out it's whenever you want um, it's fine but we like I say all that because like we genuinely want to connect with you um, help you grow in your faith however we can do that um, and that same number texting welcome kind of enrolls you into this series of messages but you can text anything that you want to to that number um, I have an app on my phone. I will get a notification that says somebody has a question, um, you know, whatever, uh, and, and we'll reach back out to you that way too. So however you want to do that is fine. Like that's just a great way to connect with any of our, our staff members if you want to use that. I was kind of looking at the time. You know, our, our songs went a little bit fast this morning. I don't know if it's because Cody's afraid, you know, this happens a lot when I'm gone. Um, I come back and have a lot to say, and so I wasn't here last week, and so I don't know, maybe I have a lot to say today. Um, but I feel like I've got plenty of time to say it, so it's, it's going to be great. I know we've got some of our kids in the room today as well. Uh, our uh, kids have been at kids camp this week, and so they're coming back today. As far as I know, everything has gone um, really, really well, so I'm kind of anxious to hear some reports as they get back. Uh, we did, uh, on our, our staff text message, so we got a picture the other day of the entire group, and it looked like everyone was having fun. Maddie, uh, our kids' director, looked wonderful. Ronaldo, our student uh, associate, is with the kids as well. He did not look as wonderful. Um, so, yeah, he looked, uh, you know, a little exhausted. So, um, but that's, you know, he's kind of the lowest guy on the totem pole, so we all have to do that. And so... I'm, I'm glad for Ronaldo's learning experiences for him. Um, but so they, they come back today. So those of you, the kids that are in the room, I'm sorry you got to put up with me today. I'll try not to be boring. I, I was thinking about it. I don't really have jokes planned today or anything, but um, sometimes I'm funny. Most of the time I'm not. So I don't know. Hopefully it's not terrible, a terrible experience for um, our kids this morning. But let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the message. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, 
Uh, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together uh, to worship you. Uh, we are so thankful for your love and your grace that you pour out on us in spite of our faults and failings. And God, I pray that as we spend some time in your word today that you would challenge us, um, that you would encourage us, help us to understand who you want us to be, how you want us to grow, uh, so that we can live our lives to please and honor you and then experience the life that you've called us to live um, as we surrender ourselves to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would have your way in us today. Again, speak to us uh, through the work of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I wonder if you can remember back to the first day of your freshman year of high school. I wonder if you remember how you felt that first day of freshman year. Likely, there was a little bit of fear involved. You're in a new school, likely a new school building, and so there is some anxiousness related to getting to the right class at the right time, navigating your way around, those kinds of things. Maybe there was some nervousness because you were the youngest person there, in the youngest class there, and so you're wondering what life is going to be like interacting with upperclassmen, how are they going to treat you if you run into them in the hall, or maybe what is it even going to be like if you happen to be in a class with some of them at some point. And so likely there was a little bit of fear, but yet at the same time, there was probably a sense of accomplishment, feeling pretty good about yourself, like you'd arrived because no longer are you in middle school, so you're no longer attached to a, a grade that only is known by a number because now you're a freshman. And so you get to do all of the things that high schoolers can do. You sit in the student section at the football game, all those kinds of things. And so like, yes, this is, a, I'm finally here. So you go through your freshman year. You go through sophomore year. Then your junior year. And then after what seems like an eternity, finally the first day of your senior year arrives. And so you, driving yourself to school, pull into your freshly painted parking space to begin senior year. You're the top dog. And you walk into the school, and as you walk through the door, you run into a freshman. And I don't know if you thought, uh, thought this way as you ran into them, what is wrong with them? You know, I was never that small. There's no way I was that immature. I was never that stupid. And what that describes is what has been referred to as the syndrome of the incredible shrinking freshman. It's the idea that when you're at a certain stage, and you look back on a previous stage, you know that you are further along than those people who are currently at that stage. The incredible shrinking freshman. It's something that I fell into um, when I was a senior in high school. I very distinctly remember looking back at freshmen thinking I was never that small. But the reality was I actually was that small. I played football one year high school, my freshman year high school. That's the only year that I played football. And I was 115 pounds as a freshman. The reason that I know that, the reason I remember that, is because every day at practice we had to weigh in. And every day on that scale, 115 pounds. 
The reason that I never played football after my freshman year is because I weighed 115 pounds as a freshman. And so I look back as a senior on those freshmen, I thought to myself, I was never that small. The reality was that, yes, I was in fact that small, probably smaller than many of them. But the incredible shrinking freshman syndrome caused me to think that I wasn't like that. That phenomenon shows up in lots of different areas of life. I don't know if you have thought about this uh, in your work. Maybe that college graduate shows up, uh, new college graduate shows up for the first day of work, and your thought is, they know nothing. What are they even teaching in college now? When I was getting out of college, I was much more prepared for this than they were, when in reality... When you showed up your first day of work, you didn't know anything either. Older adults do it to younger adults, sometimes do it to teenagers. Anytime that a story starts with back in my day, that is part of the incredible shrinking freshman syndrome. You know, back in my day, we didn't have all this fancy stuff. We had to walk to school uphill both directions in the snow. And the person telling that story grew up in South Texas. And you think, that doesn't even make any sense. Gen Xers and Gen Zers do it with millennials. I don't know if you've ever seen articles written about what's wrong with millennials today, but there's tons of books and articles talking about the work ethic of millennials. They're so lazy, they don't want to do anything, and we think, well, when I was 25, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was driven, I had it all together, and we look back at these younger adults now, and we're like, what's wrong with them? And I think that to a certain extent, there are things that are different today. I think delayed adolescence is a real thing. But the reality is there was a time in our lives where we were lazy. We didn't have any idea what we were doing either. The reason we think that way is because of the syndrome of the incredible shrinking freshman. Shows up in church too. Now in church, it's not necessarily purely an age thing. It could be a spiritual maturity thing. And I use that in quotes because uh, I think... You'll understand as we work through the message this morning, use that kind of loosely. Pastor and author Larry Osborne, he talks about this in in one of his books. He says that as we are on our journey of faith, we can picture it as this, we're all on this long road leading to Jesus. And what happens is sometimes, rather than keeping our eyes on Jesus, and we continue to move forward in our faith, we turn around and look back and see who's behind us. And all of a sudden, we turn around and look back and see who's behind us and begin to wonder, what's wrong with them? Why are they way back there? I was never like that, when in reality, we were. But when that happens, separation begins to take place. The title of the message this morning is, When Outsiders Become Insiders. And so what I want to talk about is what happens when outsiders become insiders and forget that they were outsiders. And I want to talk about what happens when outsiders become insiders and remember where they've come from. Because one leads to separation, and the other leads to something incredibly beautiful that is what is supposed to be happening within the church. And so on the front end, and I'll define an outsider versus an insider for us uh, in a little bit, but on the front end, if you think you're an insider, I want to challenge us this morning. For those of you that maybe feel like you're an outsider, I want to encourage you this morning. And I want you to know that we have a place for you. That's what my hope is for you when you leave from here this morning. 
So that's what we're going to talk about, outsiders and insiders, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it'll be on the screen as I read it. Uh, or if you have the version, the Bible app on your uh, smartphone, you can navigate your way to our live event if you know where that is. So it's in the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, there's a button, more, and then about... Halfway uh, in the middle of the next screen, you'll see a button for events. You'll be able to follow along there. And then if you get bored, you can just play on your phone, and it looks like you're taking notes. So it's, it's wonderful for everyone. Here is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done by the flesh in human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made, no, he made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace." He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being built together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for, the, for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Okay, so I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. It doesn't necessarily include my favorite verse, because there's not like one verse that you can pull out and be like, that's it. It's the entire section that I really like. And part of the reason I like it is because I think it is incredibly challenging for us when we stop and think about what's there. Because this passage, maybe more than any other, at least for me, helps me to understand it is not about just me and God. Sometimes we say things like that. You can take everything else, but give me Jesus and I will be okay. And I understand the sentiment behind that, but that is not the way it is supposed to be. Something else that I'm really challenged by in this is the reality that as an outflow of the good news of Jesus, as an outflow of the gospel, is reconciliation. And when I say that, I mean racial reconciliation. Because what Paul is talking about in that passage is two different ethnic groups of people, Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews, being brought together. And so it should challenge the way that we think and the way that we live in the area of racial reconciliation. It also challenges us to be living in community with other believers because there's a sense in which what Paul is saying, and we don't think this way in our individualized American culture, there's a sense in which what Paul is saying is that we are reconciled together to be reconciled with God. Incredibly challenging when we stop and think about the disconnected way that we live and the call to live in community. And so there's so much there, so much that we could talk about, what I want to do as we begin is just to walk through some of what Paul is saying as he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus so we really kind of understand 
kind of the scope of the passage before we begin to talk about outsiders versus insiders. So the first thing that Paul says in verse 11 is, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by the circumcised. You were once Gentiles in the flesh, on the outside looking in. He's reminding these believers in the city of Ephesus of what life used to be like. If you were here a few months ago, we started our series through the book of Ephesians, and we talked about in the first message when we went through our series on chapter 1, we talked about the introduction to the book. And we just talked about the city of Ephesus. And one of the things that we talked about was that the city of Ephesus was a multicultural city. So all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. There was a strong Jewish presence within the city. In addition to that, all kinds of other people. And so one of the, at this point though, the church is primarily made up of non-Jewish people or what are referred to as Gentile people. But the biggest problem in the early church, probably in the middle part of the first century, is trying to figure out how Jewish the church is actually going to be. Because when you stop and think about it, at the very beginning, as people are coming to faith in Christ for the very first time, basically everyone was Jewish, came from a Jewish background. When Peter preached on the, the sermon on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, they were all Jewish. And so that's what the church was in its early days, all Jewish people, but then the gospel began to spread, and then the question was, okay, what do we do with these non-Jewish people, and how Jewish is the church going to actually be? And so there was some debate about that, but ultimately what they decided was they weren't going to make non-Jewish people do Jewish things. But yet at the same time, there was still the challenge of bringing these two Diverse groups of people together in one body called the church. It was incredibly difficult. And part of the reason for that was the historical separation that had existed. See, the Jewish people, they were the chosen people of God. They had had a relationship with God that dated back some 2,000 years. They were God's chosen people. God chose to work through the Jewish nation And especially in the first century, for Jews, they knew that they were chosen and they wanted everybody else to understand that they were chosen too. So that's part of the reason that Paul says what he does. You, remember, you were once called the uncircumcised by those who were circumcised. You were the outsiders looking in. Foreigners, aliens, strangers to the promise. Now it's important for me to to, to make note of this. If Prior to Jesus, you could, and you were a non-Jewish person, if you were a Gentile person, you could be a part of what God was doing in the world. You could convert to Judaism. You could become a, a, a Jewish person. You had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and things like that. And yet at the same time, even after you converted to Judaism and became a part of the nation of Israel, probably still felt like an outsider. Like you just didn't quite fit. And so as Paul is writing to these primarily non-Jewish believers in Jesus, he says, hey, remember what life used to be like. You were the uncircumcision. It's almost like being referred to as being a barbarian or, or like dirty. Remember, that's the way that you used to be. But that's not who you are now. 
You were once an outsider, but thanks to the work of Jesus, you who were once outsiders have now become insiders. It says that he is our peace. And I, I love that language that Paul uses, and I want you to know it's not about having peace with God. In the context, that's about having peace with one another. It says he is our peace, and he's torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus, through his life, he came to fulfill the Old Testament law so that all the laws and regulations, all the hoops that everyone had to jump through, those weren't barriers keeping people from God anymore. But I think when Paul was writing that phrase, he's tore down the dividing wall of hostility, I think in Paul's mind, he was thinking specifically of the temple. The temple was the place in the capital city of Jerusalem where the presence of God dwelt among his people. And in the temple, there was a court of the Gentiles, and then there was a wall, and then a court of the Jews, and then inside, that's where the temple proper was, where the Holy of Holies and all of those things were. On that wall, separating the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews might as well have been a sign that says, you can't get any closer. This is as far as you can go. This is the wall helping you to understand that you are an outsider. Paul says Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he's tore down the wall and created in himself one new man from the two, giving equal access to both Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews. Both have equal access to God in one body called the church. And there is a sense in which what Paul is saying is that we are reconciled together, Jews and Gentiles, reconciled together to be reconciled with God. And we, together, are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. It's an incredible passage. Helps us to understand that we are in this thing together. There is no such thing as outsiders versus insiders. But yet at the same time, in practical application, as we look at the church today, that does not mean that division does not exist. Because sometimes outsiders become insiders and they forget that they were once outsiders. Now let me define those terms for us. Who's an outsider? I would say that all of us were once outsiders unless you come from a Jewish background. That's the way Paul describes it. You who were the uncircumcised, non-Jewish people, you were once an outsider. So the only people that could be insiders are those who come from that Jewish heritage uh, that goes back a long, long time ago all the way to Abraham. Everyone else, regardless of how you grew up, if you grew up in church or out of church, we should consider ourselves to be at one point an outsider. Now, who are the insiders? Well, the insiders are those who know the language and the lingo. They know the practices and procedures. They just know how things go. In church. They're likely a genuine believer, but it's really not so much about the nature of your faith as much as it is just knowing how things work and function. Think of it this way it's the person who goes to Starbucks and never has to look at the four things on the menu to know what to order because they know you don't have to order the four things that are on the menu. It's the person who never has to stop and think, okay, why is a tall called a small? I mean, a small called a tall. See, I can't even do it. 
Or like a vente, that's a large, and you know what I mean? Like the people that just know what they're doing. They're the insiders. They know how things function in Starbucks, though nobody else does. And so sometimes what happens is that outsiders become insiders and forget that they were outsiders. And when that takes place, separation happens. That's the incredible shrinking freshman syndrome when we look back and like, what's wrong with those people? And so when outsiders become insiders, one of the things, and we forget that we were once outsiders, something that happens is that we raise the bar for inclusion. To be included, you have to know certain things. You have to be more mature. you got to have things together. You likely have to be a certain age to feel included. Otherwise, you feel like you're on the outside. I'll never forget what happened uh, years ago when I was leading a small group. At the time, we had a, a really diverse group uh, of people from different ages, different life stages, and different levels of spiritual maturity, too. Though we had several folks in our group that were relatively new to the faith. And I don't remember specifically now what we were talking about, but I remember that I asked a question, and it was a factual question about an Old Testament story, a story we read in the Old Testament. So I asked the question, and after a few minutes of what can become, if you've ever been in a small group, uncomfortable silence, an older lady that was part of our group that had a tremendous amount of Bible knowledge, and I know she did not mean anything when she said this, but she said, come on, everybody knows this. Problem was, not everybody knew. And all of a sudden, in that simple sentence, what was communicated is that to be an insider, you have to know certain things. And if you don't know certain things, you're going to feel like an outsider. When outsiders become insiders and forget that we were once outsiders, you know what else happens? Clicks develop. Because the people that know the language and the lingo, they just kind of cluster together. And those people who don't know how to do the right things in the right way, they feel like they're on the outside. I can remember this was true when I was finishing up high school. The same thing, was because I went to a really small uh, college, the same thing was true when I graduated from college. I thought to myself, man, I can't wait until I get out of here because I'm tired of all of this drama and the, the clickiness and things like that. The feeling like sometimes you're not on the inside of things. And then I became an adult. And I remember very distinctly one day after Mandy came home from work, she was teaching at the time, and she said, you know, I thought things would be different now that we are adults. But I've learned very quickly that being an adult, it's not too different than being a teenager because you still deal with the same mess. When outsiders become insiders and forget that we were once outsiders, we also become very cynical. Go back to that image that Larry Osborne talked about in his book, this journey toward Jesus. We're doing good as long as we keep our eyes forward and look at Jesus, but sometimes what happens is we begin to turn around, and as we turn around and we see all those people behind us, our thought is, well, why aren't they here? Or maybe we begin to think, what's wrong with people? Why are people so far back there? I was never back there. And then all of a sudden you begin to think, well, this is just the way that the world is and things are never going to change. And we become cynical about the growth of other people. 
Something else that happens when outsiders become insiders, and we forget that we were once outsiders, the last thing is that pursuit of an image outpaces the pursuit of Jesus. This is incredibly dangerous, and I think something that's plaguing the church today, not, hopefully not our church, but I see it in the world of the church today, is that pursuit of an image outpaces the inward desire for transformation. Because what happens when there's a, a separation between outsiders and insiders, those who are on the outside say, if they stick around long enough, they say, how do I get so that I'm viewed as an insider? And they think to themselves, man, like as long as I say the right things, I learn the language and the lingo, or if I do the right things, or in worship I just act the right way, then people will think I'm an insider. And all of a sudden what happens is the pursuit of that image outpaces our actual pursuit of Jesus. The pursuit of that image outpaces the inward transformation. And so people are just faking it all the time. And I look at those things, the separation between an outsider and an insider, and I say, man, like, I don't ever want to be like that. I don't want to create an environment in our church where, outs, there, where there are people who feel like outsiders, and there are people who are insiders who cluster together, and we look back and say, what's wrong with those people who are on the outside? Because that goes against everything that Paul is teaching in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, because he is saying, hey, we are in this thing together. So what happens when outsiders become insiders who remember where they came from? The first thing that happens is that a magnetic culture develops. What I mean by that is that there's a, a, a magnetic culture that leads to growth for all people. Because the reality is, because of the work of Jesus, all of us can move from being outsiders to insiders. But when we remember where we came from, rather than looking back saying what's wrong with those people, we may look back and say, hey, how can I help you who may be behind me in this journey? How do I help you get here? We say it in our church that we, we want to see faith come alive for everyone who is a part of the table. And that's what it's about. Creating this magnetic culture of growth where there isn't this distinct separation between outsiders and insiders, but that all people are just like looking toward Jesus saying, how do we grow together? Because that creates an environment where people stick. I want to see that kind of environment built in our church. The second thing that takes place when outsiders become insiders and remember where they came from is that mistakes are made but it's in an environment where grace is extended. The reality is there was a time in our lives, which is still probably true for all of us in certain areas, where we didn't have it together. And when we recognize that this is an environment for all people to grow, rather than being cynical towards people who are behind us and maybe struggling with certain things, we recognize that mistakes can be made, but grace is going to be extended. Because we were all there. Years ago, I was going through a, a study with some other pastors. And in the course of this study, a question was asked of us. Have you ever put a, position, a person in a position of leadership before they were ready? And I remember this. And I'm, I'm not making this up. I distinctly remember this. When they asked the question, my immediate thought was, do you mean today? The reason being is because I felt like we should always be calling people forward. 
It's kind of like, do you, are you ever ready to be a parent? Are you ever ready to have children, right? But you, you're called into it, and so you grow into it. And so uh, there is that, that, certainly at the time, I thought, man, like, I, I, I want to do that all the time, but I'm going to tell you something and confess, confess this to you. I, I feel like I might have lost that. Because what happens when you call people to higher standards, levels of leadership and things like that, People do make mistakes. And sometimes as a leader over that, you get burned. And so the older I have gotten, I think that there's a tendency to, to take things safer. Well, I, you got to be around longer. you got to be older. you got to be more mature, have it more together. I, mean, I don't want to do that. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We have a, a core group of young adults, young single adults. We have many young marrieds with you know, brand new babies and stuff like that in our church. And, 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 and for those of you that are younger adults, I want you to feel like you are integral in the life of the church. Not just a part of it, but like integral in it. I've talked with our young adults, and I said, look, guys, like, I don't want you to have this place, this thing that you go to, but I want you to be leading things that we're doing so people can see you. You know, I'm so glad Alex uh, was playing this morning with the band. Like, things like that are, are, are needed in our church. And I look back on my own experience, and yes, people gave me a chance way before I was ready. And I need to be doing the same thing for our young adults. When outsiders become insiders and remember where they came from, hope is restored because growth is celebrated. Rather than looking back and seeing people grow with the attitude of, well, it's about time, when we remember where we came from, we can celebrate all kinds of different forms of growth. And we should be doing that. You know, simple things. Like somebody saying for the very first time, okay, it scares me to death, but I'm going to go and be a part of a group. Right? That's growth. We need to celebrate that. Celebrating the fact that a person says for the very first time, listen, I'm, I've never done anything before. It scares me to death, but I'm willing to serve. We need to celebrate that. Every time that somebody steps forward, uh, who says that they want to be baptized, where we celebrate what God is doing in their lives, and they, they want to uh, tell everyone that they're a follower of Jesus publicly. Like, we need to celebrate those things. Not think that they're expected, but celebrated because we're celebrating the work that God is doing. And then finally, when outsiders become insiders, we remember where we came from, pursuit of Jesus is done together. I've said this before, I think sometimes we begin to picture this levels of growth and we think, well, whoever's in front of me, like they're responsible for my growth. Who's ever above me is responsible for my growth, which honestly is very unhealthy. It's unhealthy for a church to feel that way, especially for those who are at the top of the list because we think, well, we don't need anybody. That's not the picture of the church. Picture of the church is where we learn and grow together. And I've said this before, like, I love when people ask questions. 
The reason being, it sharpens me. And I can learn from somebody who's brand new to the faith, asking honest questions about faith, and that's encouraging and, and helpful in my growth. And so that's the picture of the church, where we're not just who's, who's above me, teaching me, pouring into me, but we're growing and learning together in community. Where there is no distinction between outsiders and insiders anymore. We recognize we're in this thing together. And that's the kind of church that I want us to have. I don't want us to create a culture where there's outsiders versus insiders and some people feel like they never fit. But then we look at it and say, how do we together do what God has called us to do? Because that's the church. And when the church functions in that way, that's when lives are transformed, families are transformed, and ultimately, when that takes place, a community is transformed as well. That's what I love about Ephesians chapter 2. Man, it challenges the way that we think and how we live so that together we can do what God has called us to do. Because there's no longer outsiders versus insiders. We're all in this thing together. So I want you to know, if you have ever felt like an outsider... And if you ever feel like an outsider, you have an open door to me to say, hey, Bill, this is how I feel. And I want you to know, I'm not going to say, well, it's your fault. Because there's probably something that we need to learn from your experience so that we can grow. So that nobody, from the time that they show up in our services for the very first time, they never feel like they're on the outside looking in. Because that's what God desires. There's no longer a wall that divides. We're in this thing together. Will you pray with me?